Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. That's weird to me, but okay. Um, it is. Uh, I'll appreciate the opportunity to you from the word. Uh, I always appreciate your attentiveness in that. The last time I had an opportunity to do so was back in May. No. July, and uh, Barry Fultz had asked me, he goes, are you doing a biblical dialogue sermon? And I said, no, and he just got this disappointed look on his face, brethren, I cannot have Barry Fultz disappointed with me, so uh, I have to be able to sleep at night. So this morning, I want to present to you a biblical dialogue. The text will be in Matthew 15, so if you'd like to go ahead and be turning there. What is dialogue? Dialogue is defined as a written composition in which two or more persons are represented as conversing, a conversation between two or more people, an exchange of ideas and opinions, or the conversational element of literary or dramatic composition. That last definition is the one I want you to think about as we look at this text this morning. I love dialogue. I love dialogue in books. I love dialogue in movies. I love it on TV shows. It can be poignant, emphatic, conveys humor. Within its context, there is subtext. There are things that are unspoken. Other times, it's blatantly obviously what is said. And it is direct and emphatic. And it creates a verbal impact on us that gives us pause. The Bible has recorded some of the greatest conversations some of the greatest dialogues known to mankind. And I have a slew of favorites. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, the temp interrogation of Adam and Eve. I love that. Uh, Exodus 4, in which God conscripts Moses into service. I love that. Exodus chapter 39 which deals with the confrontation between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Uh, The book of Job, the entire book of Job is a big dialogue. But especially the first chapter, the dialogue between God and Satan. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, when Samuel confronts King Saul concerning the destruction of the Amalekite. Um, 1 Kings chapter 22. The prophet Micaiah and King A. And then any conversation that you find in the, in the Gospels. These are so full of lessons. And this morning I want to delve into one of the conversations of Jesus. It is one of my most favorite. Um, so let's begin by reading 
Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. It says, And then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. He answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take children's food and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. That is such a strange experience. You have a Gentile woman who is from the region of Tyre and Sidon. She cries out to Jesus. She's obviously heard of him. She knows about him. She's apparently aware that he's in the area. And she seeks him out. And she cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. This is a blatant appeal on her part. It's interesting to me that the region is specified. Tyre and Sidon. Those two cities were found in the territory of the tribe of Asher. In Israel's history, two cities were renowned for Baal worship. If you remember, Queen Jezebel, who was married to King Ahab during the period of the divided kingdom, and he was king of the northern ten tribes. Her father, Ethbel, was king of the Sidonians. It was she who brought Baal worship into the northern kingdom, instituted as a national religion, which eventually filtered down to the southern kingdom and corrupted the Judeans. Baal translates as Lord. Maybe this woman, in trying to rid her of this possession, maybe she's consulted the local gods in that area. I don't even know that Baal was still a functional at this time. He may have been. The Baals were typically geographically located. The area she was in, the Baal there, would have been known as Baal Hammon or Baal Haman. Maybe she had sought relief through him. Maybe she had offered sacrifices to him. She had gotten nothing in return. Nothing. It had proved to no avail. Maybe she knew, she knew about the stories of the God of Israel, of his mighty power. We don't know. But I think it's interesting in context that he refers to Jesus as Lord. 
And then she also refers to him as son of David. She refers to him in a term that hints to his Davidic lineage. So here's a Gentile, a Canaanite woman, it says, recognizing the Jewish Messiah, not Baal, and also referring to Jesus by this prophetic description. We're not told the specific setting, exactly where this took place. I'm of the mind that it is in public. I don't know that they were in a town. Maybe they were. They may have been on an open roadway where there were other people passing by. They may have been going through a neighborhood. She knew he was in the area. She sought him out. She came to him. Her daughter is severely demon-possessed. We don't know the particulars on that. Was it one specific, really violent demon? Was she possessed by more than one? We don't know. The only particular we're given is it is severe, which means it's bad. And we don't know how long this has been going on, how long this poor girl has had to endure this. The daughter is severely possessed. The mother is severely distressed. She doesn't have anyone else to turn to. So she goes to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He's got to hear her crying after him. He seems to ignore her. Wouldn't that further add to her distress? Wouldn't that aggravate her? Wouldn't his actions seem dismissive of her plight? Wouldn't it make her want to give up, to quit? And then, on top of everything else, the disciples put their two cents in. Send her away. She cries out after us. She's bothersome. Well, that's not very nice. It's not very sympathetic or compassionate. I'm guessing that this Canaanite woman was crying out repeatedly. She is not letting this go. Even though Jesus is appearing to ignore her. And that annoyed the disciples. Maybe she's drawing undue attention. Maybe it's the fact that she's a Canaanite. Maybe they see Jesus' response to her as him wanting to deal with her. And this isn't the only time that the disciples have ever run interference. Uh, there are times where they seem to feel like they need to keep people away from Jesus, uh, like those who brought their children to him for a blessing in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 13. But finally, Jesus responds, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that's kind of brusque. It's like a brush off. I wonder if he just tossed that remark over his shoulder as he's walking away. I wonder if he paused long enough to tell her, 
That doesn't come across as very compassionate either, does it? It strikes me as almost dismissive and condescending. But that also depends on the tone and the inflection in which you read it. It may have been that Jesus finally turned to recognize her and explained, look, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, just so you know. She has his attention now. She comes and she says, Lord, help me. She's beseeching him. She worships him. Does that mean she prostrate? I don't know. Physically, she demonstrated her humility to him. She is beside herself. She needs help. It's a simple statement. And brethren, I'm not kidding. That is like a punch in the gut to me. This is a parent who loves her child. This is a mother who will go to any means to get the help her daughter needs. Even if that means approaching someone that she knows will look down on disdain in her because she's not a Jew. But she does it. She's that desperate. She's willing to subject herself to public disdain and rejection. She may very well see Jesus as her last hope for her daughter. And what does she get? Jesus' response is, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She gets bantering. What? Really? Today, bantering is defined as to speak or address in a witty and teasing fashion. Originally, the word was used in terms of to ridicule, to challenge, or to dare. And that's the context that this comes across to me. This seems a bizarre way to respond to such an appeal. But he does. You know, we banter like that amongst ourselves, friendly little digs, good-natured derision and insults. That's not the way this strikes me. This seems kind of harsh. And surely this is not the response that she's expecting from him. No doubt about whom Jesus is implying by the terms children and dogs. It is obvious that he is speaking in terms of the Jews and the Gentiles. And this could easily be viewed as a verbal slap in the face. 
But how does she respond? Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Back bantering. There are a number of ways she could have responded. She could have lost her ever-loving mind. She could have peppered him with curses and profanities. She could have ranted and raved against him, claiming he's no Messiah, he's nobody that can help. She could have disparaged him in so many ways. She could have gotten hysterical and gone into a screaming, crying fit. Help me, him. No. She banters back. Who in their right mind verbally spars with Jesus Christ? That owns me. But she does it. I don't know if she's aware of Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 in which he says God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I doubt she has no earthly idea he ever said that. And that statement's indicative of the fact that God physically blesses both those who recognize him and those who don't. The blessing of this, that this Canaanite woman seeks, this Gentile woman seeks, falls within the realm of that same principle. But it's not a physical blessing like Jesus speaks of previously. It's a spiritual blessing. You see, there is no physical working that is going to rid her daughter of its demon. Only a spiritual working is going to do that. And it's going to be one that requires the Jewish Messiah. I think Jesus is impressed with this woman. He has to be. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. She gets the blessing she is pleading for. He does not deny her that. Look, he didn't make this easy for her. I don't know why. I've often wondered that. What's the big deal? How many demons has he cast out at this point? Why is it an issue here? We don't know. But he doesn't make it easy for him. But I love the fact that his reaction to her faith is the same as it was to the Roman centurion who sent men to Jesus asking him to heal his servant. And Jesus is like, okay, take me there. And the centurion sends another message going, no, no, you don't need to come here. All you got to do is say the word. And Jesus is impressed by that magnitude of faith. It is the same thing here. And both of these, and both of those instances involve Gentiles, Not Jews. 
And I think he wants this point driven home to his disciples. What this Canaanite woman also did reminds me of the parable of the persistent widow that we see over in Luke chapter 18 and verses 1 through 8. We're not going to take the time to read that. I'll summarize it. There's a widow that has gone to this judge. He's not very ethical in his dealings. But she wants to be avenged. She wants justice, and he keeps blowing her off. And she keeps after him. And finally, he's like, you know what? I ought to do something so, to her, for her, so she'll leave me alone. That's not why Jesus does this for her. It's not just so she'll leave him alone and go away. That's not the point. Verses 7 and 8 of that passage there in Luke, there at the end of the parable of the persistent widow, Jesus says, And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That is the point of the parable. I think that is the point of this interaction with this Canaanite woman here. Jesus is looking for faith. Is he going to find it? Because when he finds it, Say he likes it, putting it mildly. And he certainly found it in this Canaanite woman, didn't he? If she did seek out the aid of another Lord, offering him pleas and sacrifices for the sake of her daughter's healing, it was a wasted effort. The sacrifice of her pride, the humbling of her heart, the strength and resolve of her faith in Jesus, that's what was required. That's what was needed. Her continual pleading, even in the face of him ignoring her, seemingly, it gained her the blessing that she desired. His interaction with her, his blessing of her, points to the planned inclusion of the Gentiles in God's plan of salvation. It's another teachable moment for his disciples. Because that's going to be something else that they also struggle with at times. My question to you, brothers and sisters... Will Jesus find such great faith in you? Will he find it in me? Because at the end of the day, when this life is over, we better hope and pray that he does. Everything about us depends on that. We need to understand that. I want to draw a neat little contrast for you very quickly. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That kind of plays in, ties in, to those verses I read from the parable of the persistent widow, doesn't it? James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. First Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There are seven elements to this dialogue, a number I think is significant, if you know me. What was it the woman said again to him that impressed him so? Even the little dogs feed from, the, from their master's table. She contended with Jesus. We don't need to. What we need to do is what she did when she humbled herself to him. We need to recognize his power and his sovereignty and realize it's the world we contend with. Because if you don't take anything else with you from this lesson, I want you to take this. Jesus Christ, the Lord, Son of David, he isn't content to offer us crumbs. His blessing is that he offers us a crown. Take advantage of it. The best way to do that is to recognize his sovereignty as the only begotten Son of God. Confess his name. Repent of the sins of your life. Put them behind you. And start anew being buried in the waters of baptism. You have the remission of your sins through the shedding of his blood upon the cross. That is no light payment. Take advantage of that, please, if you need to, as we stand and sing. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, Please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.